Welcome to the Access VFX podcast, pursuing inclusion, diversity, awareness and opportunity in VFX, animation and games industries. Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, founder and director of Access VFX, bringing the visual effects animation and games industry together, working towards a shared goal to make our industry more diverse and inclusive by taking action rather than just talking about it. Hello, I'm Simon, founder and director of Access VFX, and welcome to season two, episode five of the Access VFX podcast. Every week, we invite talented folks from the world of visual effects, animation and games, including heavyweights and those just getting started in the industry. And we ask them about their journey from humble beginnings, big breaks and learnings through to shamelessly mining their brains for juicy career advice and their thoughts and musings on how we can create a more inclusive and diverse creative community. In this episode, I had the opportunity to interview Chris Fryer, digital compositor at Industrial Light and Magic, or ILM as it's commonly known. And it was also a nice surprise to hear that Chris is an active and seasoned Access VFX mentor. So you'll find out more about that in the episode too. We spoke on Zoom around the end of November and had a great conversation. We talked about being open to opportunities, back to the future, Tony Stark as an aspirational design engineer, and obviously killer lizards. So that's it. We very much hope you enjoy episode five of the Access VFX podcast. Hello and welcome to another Access VFX podcast. It's uh, me, Simon Devereaux, and I am joined here today by a VFX artist whose LinkedIn profile reads like the Access VFX membership. He's held positions at Deneg, the third floor, Blue Zoo, one of us, Jellyfish Pictures, CineSight and Trickster, to name a few, and has credits on Star Wars movies, Bond movies, Marvel movies. Currently, Digital Compositor, Industrial Light and Magic, or ILM, as we like to abbreviate it to, and London ACM Seagraph board member. And I should add, Access VFX mentor since 20, circa 2019. Please welcome to the podcast. It's Mr. Chris Fryer. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure. So, uh, typically, uh, you you'll probably know um, that we we open the Access VFX Vault on this uh, on this podcast with a, a set number of questions. But um, I wanted to kind of kick off before we get into the questions is uh, just a bit about a bit about you, Chris. I mean, uh, the first thing I was really taken with when uh, I did a bit of LinkedIn stalking was the um, the glitterati of all the kind of big studios that you've worked for and I'll, I'll, I'll admit I was surprised I mean you're a, a youthful looking uh, human <laughs> and uh, I thought this this potentially might be a intern or an apprentice turns out you're full-blown full-blown VFX artist who's worked at some of the uh, most of the big dogs in uh, in visual effects so uh, yeah I'm just gonna let that drop no, and see what that's your good. response is um yeah that's um that was one of the main reasons that I wanted to sort of get involved with this because I thought my perspective that I can bring is that I am quite young and there are some sort of challenges and hurdles that can come with that and um yeah so yeah you sort of touched on how I've kind of been bouncing around everywhere and that's been really fantastic just because mm-hmm. anytime an opportunity that comes around that I think is quite interesting I do kind of pounce on it and that sort of come from the pandemic as well like when the pandemic first sort of started all the foundations of everything kind of got tossed up in the air 
But that meant that I ended up doing something I never thought I'd do, which was sort of feature animation at Jellyfish, which was a really, really fantastic experience. And that then sort of led into me having a chance to have a lead role there, which was really positive. And that just came from doing a little bit of extra fun stuff in comp and that kind of thing. And then I think thanks to it being remote and not having to have sort of in-person meetings, I had the confidence to say, I'm really enjoying doing all of this bonus stuff. I'd love the opportunity for that to be an official part of my job description. And they really um, responded positively to that and said, yeah, absolutely. We'd love to have you on as a lead for the project. And I think if it wasn't for the pandemic and also perhaps the fact that you can kind of hide behind a Zoom window much better than you can face to face. Yeah, that was something I just think is one of the really interesting things about the situation that's come about of everything. That's really interesting because actually the, uh, the, the the brief bit of chit chat we had before we hit record on this call was all about, um, you know, taking opportunities remotely. And a lot of the podcasts we did in 2020, uh, we called them standing out while staying in, which was all around, you know, gone are the traditional right, means yeah. of connecting with people in uh, kind of uh, recruitment fairs and, and, and events like the VFX Festival or, or Seagraph or FMX or whatever. You have to do it remotely and uh, what you've kind of articulated there is exactly that uh, and, yeah. and a, a lot of a lot of what we talk about on this particular podcast is just taking those opportunities you know a lot of the advice that we hear throughout a lot of the conversations we have are you know just seize carpe diem right just seize the day just yeah know, whatever comes your way just be curious and yeah absolutely yeah I think curiosity is a really really good word for it where sometimes stuff is just really weird or you've got no idea how you're going to manage it and then you just sort of have to well, it's the Richard Branson quote isn't it say yes now figure it out later nice. um it can uh, sort of come up but yeah like um working at Trickster like my desk was technically in Munich or for important looking pirates their offices in Stockholm mm. yeah and it's stuff that I don't think I would have committed to to flying out to those places just because you know I've got my own life in the UK mm. um it's been really really great to just be able to dip my toes in so many different ponds and stuff yeah really fun well like i say it's an impressive an impressive uh, resume or cv depending on where you're what part of the world you're listening to this in but uh, yeah super impressive and i was uh, really really happy to hear that you've been a, an access vfx mentor um yeah. since 2019 only m- mere kind of months after we launched in uh, the end of 2017 so how are you finding um uh, the mentoring program yeah it's been really 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 positive um just because it's you know it's the kind of thing where I think when I signed up I was on the paint team at ILM Mm. and I think some people who I'd spoken to who were sort of similar there was a little voice in the back of my mind that sort of said you know I'm just starting out am I in a position to start you know even begin to pass on wisdom to other people but I think it's actually been really really positive because I'm I'd having sort of just gone through all the sort of job application process or just finished uni, I was able to sort of give really up-to-date tips to people who were basically following a couple of years behind me. And mm. yeah, it's been really good. And that's continued to be really good now that I've sort of experienced lots of other different studios and especially different formats of work where people have said, you know, I'm thinking about doing freelancing or I'm thinking about episodic versus TV or feature. Mm. Um, really really great yeah I'm, I'm very jealous that it wasn't um that I didn't jump on the opportunity when it would have 
uh, when I would have been on the other side of it. Yeah, but I think the way you put it is so it's so important that um, yeah, emerging talent and aspiring talent get you know current advice a lot of the time. I mean, the way we've positioned uh, this this season of the podcast is to not only speak to what I call kind of VFX heavyweights or big names, but also you know you know talking to apprentices and people who have been in the industry for a short period of time because actually the the advice is I would argue more relevant. Uh, and more impactful than somebody who's been in the game for 20 years again it's a different kind of uh, inspiration isn't it but it's it's inspiration that you can apply in in real life so i think it's and you and, you, and you're you're almost both uh, yeah. chris you know we've got heavyweight and somebody who hasn't been in the industry a huge amount of time yeah that's, that's very kind of you to say it, it, that kind of thing that it did sort of come from from multitasking because mm. my i my first job in the vfx industry was actually i think about six years ago where um, at the end of my first year at uni, we got told about FMX and they said, oh, if you go to FMX and say you'll make coffee for someone, you're guaranteed to get a job. (laughs) And, um, you know, that one of the booths I went to was the one of us booths and I spoke to their recruitment and asked if they had any openings. And, um, yeah, they said I could join the tech team for the summer. And I said, I'll do it if you let me work on shows. And they were like, free work? Absolutely. Excellent. Those weren't the official words, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a trade-off for sure. Well, I can tell that you're dying to get into the vault, um, Chris. So I won't, I won't, I won't store you with too much uh, chit chat at the start. Even though I'm dying to kind of quiz you about your Movember moustache, which makes you look very yeah. stylish. Which uh, I'm afraid those listening on our audio channels will be robbed of that experience. Well, for those listening, it's enormous and uh, <laughs> fully established and, and not embarrassing at all. <laughs> and, pl- and please sponsor him. We'll, 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 we'll oh, put yeah. the. We'll put the link out at the end along with the uh, the mentoring sign up as well so uh, the first question we're going to open the vault and it is name and where you're from so we know where you're at in terms of your career so we know you're at ILM we know you're Chris Fryer but where are you where are you from where what part of the world are you from um so I'm currently in London um which is very nice I went to uni and then before that I was at uni in Hertfordshire in Hatfield which is sort of 25 miles north I think Mm -hmm. and then originally I was from Leicestershire so the Midlands of the UK oh right I am also from Leicester oh brilliant um so uh three words that describe you then Chris let's get into the the meat of the question so normally I'm really I really don't like labels very much but um i think if i had to come up with something nice and pretentious i would go for something like no off switch as my three word summary um because i um that was something i found as the sort of the transition from uni to the industry is that at six o'clock they kind of expect you to go home mm. whereas at uni it was like wake up go to um the little labs that we had and it would just be because you could just the the amount of time you put in just continue to generate more stuff for reels and, and learning and stuff. It meant that when I graduated, I had to figure out what I was supposed to do with my weekends. And I, I still haven't really figured it out. That's why I've got this. Um, I run a tool development blog um, on my website where I sort of do new tools and workflows and tutorials and stuff. And that's just a keep me sat still I suppose but uh, yeah. brilliant oh, I didn't know that about you uh, what's the uh, how can people find your tool development blog if you go to www.chrisfryer.co.uk slash blog um <laughs> you'll you'll find it there 
Amazing, love it, love the name drop, brilliant. I love that, and it's the first uh, three words we've got as a sentence, which is really exciting. Oh, really? Well, I'm glad to break the format, that's... Um, Excellent, that's I cool. like that, inspiring. Um, so on that then, um, which we'll come back to that, because I completely relate to uh, the no off switch, having, uh, you know, with, with the work we do with Access VFX and having a, a day job as well. Um, you know, on the inspiration piece, what inspires you? What's your inspiration? What gets you out of bed in the morning? I, I seek to find the just I'm just trying to do the biggest challenges and the biggest, um, the toughest stuff, because I mm -hmm. find that kind of I'm sort of addicted to problem solving and stuff like that. Um, and so but also it's the kind of thing where um, I sort of told myself if I aim to always do like the the most difficult stuff anyone will let me do then then that's job security as well I suppose but um you know I'm still sort of in that phase where I really enjoy this and so mm. just yeah just finding the biggest challenges and stuff yeah it's interesting yeah the whole idea of problem solving I mean that's great creativity isn't it it's almost a definition for, of creativity oh, yeah absolutely um but yeah that kind of uh, yeah that inspiration of just getting getting out of your comfort zone and yeah exactly i love that level. quote where they say uh, life begins at the edge of your comfort zone mm -hmm. uh, and again it's another really pretentious quote but i do keep that in mind sometimes yeah. there's so much in that though it is pretentious absolutely yes uh, i use it all the time too um but we're artists it, right that's the point right yeah, yeah. I know it's no different to any form of art, any form of creativity. It's like you, you can say in that safe space and just keep churning out, you know, not mediocre work, but, you know, industry standard. Or you can be right. I'm going to you know, create something new, push myself to the limit and almost do the stuff. Eat the frog, isn't it? Which is the, uh, the, the Tom Sawyer quote. Is it the Tom Sawyer quote? I always get them. Oh, I'm actually, going with I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Eat the frog first thing in the morning and uh, yeah, the rest of the day will be a breeze. Not that we're in the business of eating actual frogs, definitely metaphorical frogs. That does sound like a hell of a rap party, though, doesn't it? You know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, I love that. Yeah, um, I completely resonate. And uh, again, it's akin with a lot of advice that we we we, we share with uh, the next generation coming up is just continually pushing yourself. So that's, I love that. So one of my favourite questions from the uh, the vault is. Um, uh, yeah, the aliens, the ETs have landed and they come knocking on Chris Fryer's door and they ask you what you do for a living. How do you explain to these extraterrestrials what it is you actually do? OK, this is good, because this is also, um, I suppose that's a polite way of saying how do you explain to your grandparents what you do as well, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, so the parents. way I've always said this is like, so we haven't made spaceships yet. And on Earth, to my knowledge, we don't have killer lizards. And so my job is to take some digital spaceships and some killer lizards, and then they go out and film a city and they ask me to put it all together in a way that it looks like they all filmed it all in one go, I suppose. I like that. I mean, and then additionally, I suppose, it, it, with the blog, I guess it would be making the tools that let people make killer lizards look real. I, I'm loving the killer lizards theme to this answer. It's uh, yeah. I'm enjoying it very much. Um, I think it would be super awkward if the aliens were killer lizards. That would. That would. I'd also be out of a job because I suppose they could just do it. They could just, rock they could just go to the city, couldn't they? They could. Yeah. So you know, I hope the extraterrestrials don't visit now. To be honest. I know, right? Yeah. Just stay away from Chris. Uh, Chris Fry's door. Um, yeah, that's true. But only if you're killer lizards. I mean, there's, yes. You know, Any other numerous, kind. 
lots of aliens out there, right? Yeah. We're not conspiracy theorists on this podcast, but um, but yeah, I like that for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, watch out. Um, so right, where are we? So we've explained what you do for a living to an alien. So we're going to get back into the real world now, and Brilliant. we're going to go back to your uh, your formative years growing up. And um, what was it you wanted to be when you grew up? It's not the earliest so, memory of career. Yeah. So right up until the last minute, I thought I wanted to be a design engineer. And it came from a complete misunderstanding of why I enjoyed the film Iron Man, where, you know, you see Tony Stark made this really awesome, you know, mech suit and he's got all the cool UI and he's doing all of this. You know, they make creating a product seem really sexy. And then as I went right up until, you know, all my A-levels and stuff I did based on, you know, I did maths, physics and chemistry and DT thinking I wanted to do engineering. And then just before I applied for university, um, my mum could see I, would re- I was like really miserable with it. And she dropped a like perspective on my desk and was like, just go do VFX because you do those projects in your spare time or something. And looking back, I enjoyed Iron Man because of the visual effects, not because I wanted to be an engineer, but I wasted all that time thinking a complete, got the wrong <laughs> end of it. So you thought you were watching kind of like a, a documentary on that? Yeah, and it's how like, to be a design engineer. really silly because, you know, I was watching the behind the scenes thinking, wow, these guys that make the Iron Man suit, that Iron Man suit's really cool. I bet engineers are really cool. And it's like, no, the guys in the behind the scenes are really cool. You should be one of those. But also, you know, nobody thinks you can do this for a job, really. Oh, no, um, it's, it's, it's absolutely a hidden career, isn't it? I mean, it's, Yeah, uh, which is nuts because it's like often you're in demand. So crazy. It's it still amazes me that people don't know that their, their careers quite pretty lucrative and, and long lasting careers exist yeah. in, in our industry. And yeah. I, I, it, the mind boggles. I mean, that's a lot of the, the reason why Access VFX exists is to, you know, connect yeah. with education, connect with careers advisors, teachers, parents and go, look over here, you know, we're. Yeah. We're, we're prospering um when i when i was doing my exams actually for my a levels one of the invigilators because i did this thing where you know a couple of my exams like overlap so i had to be kept in isolation for a day mm. so for about six hours it was just me and an invigilator in a room mm. and he started chatting with me and asking what i wanted to do and by then i'd realized halfway through the exams that i wanted to be a vfx artist and so <laughs> i said oh i'm gonna go be a vfx artist and he said oh and there are jobs at the end of that are there I was like already put in a bad mindset to do my exam. Thank you, friend. Um, <laughs> anyway, the answer was yes. There was jobs at the end. Excellent, and it's a oh. good movie as well. I like yeah. So you written yeah. Then you saw the lights and uh, realized the amount of incredible visual effects work that goes into a film yeah, like Iron Man. Exactly. And a couple of months ago, I managed to get my first Marvel credit, which was really big for me. It felt very full circle on Shang Chi. Oh. So I was going to say um, yeah, I saw that yeah, on really your profile. Good amazing yeah. I'm, I'm streaming on disney plus as we speak so yeah yeah, yeah go check that out and make I sure will. you I'll sit and watch my name at the end um so yeah leading on from that then so we've gone from formative years into uh higher education uh you've mentioned that you went to the university of Hertfordshire. Yeah. um so what made you I mean probably a bit of an obvious question because it's one of the big the big unis that specialize yeah. in, in our work but you know what made you choose that university the university of hearts so i went to a you know I went to all the open days and stuff and I think UH Animation at Hertfordshire did there was some extra 
additional factor that I don't think you can really quantify that just made it mm. feel very good. But then when I had my interview, sort of halfway through, there was Mark Warman, who's the head of EFXO, and he's an excellent gentleman. He um, sort of halfway through said, right, I'm going to put you out of your misery. We're going to give you an offer and all that jazz. And it was, it was all a like, very positive experience. And then additionally, they would let me in based on just hitting a certain required number of UCAS points, which mm -hmm. considering I was doing some irrelevant subjects, like other universities wouldn't even let me apply because I didn't do art and things like that, which makes sense when you got to filter through huge amounts of people, you know, it's nothing personal or anything like that. And then, um, yeah, from there it was out of, out of, you know, they would have me. But additionally, I fell just under my uh my UCAS requirements and so I got a bunch of rejections coming through but then um they were willing to take me in based on portfolio rather than grades which meant that um by the end of it they were my last option anyway which is a ridiculously lovely situation to be in as well so and it goes back yeah. to what we, we always say it all boils down to the work it's all about yeah. the work and the talent rather than necessarily the, uh, the certificate that you're waving at people in there. Yeah, well, it's kind of silly, really, that I got into uni based on hitting my friend with brooms and turning it into lightsabers and stuff. Um, <laughs> it, I can understand why people don't think it is a job, but yeah. And, and, and now you're ILM. Yeah, I assume uh, creating actual lightsabers. Uh, I don't think I could say even if I was. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff you can't, uh, you can't talk about. Um, this evening um while we're recording this yeah, i'm sure we'll hit um, those walls and i'll skate around them it'll be fun i know thank you yeah yeah make try and make it less awkward for me you know trying to trying to get you know the the, the, the info yeah. out of you and what you're working on it's always a, a challenge with all of these podcasts when you speak to uh, compositors and, and visual effects artists um okay so um now it's the big break then so you've touched on this already with um your, your journey to one of us i mean yeah what would it was that the big break for you or did, did yeah definitely 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 so i was on the tech team and that was a relatively fine experience i always knew i wanted to be an artist but um you know in my little reel i put together at the end of my first year it had some python in it and that meant that when i spoke to the team there they recognized that I had an interest in the tech side so they could sort of train me to do that and it was a lot of sort of you know just render file management and moving files and, and stuff like that and that was you know i really really appreciate that they let me in but additionally they did let me touch on a couple of different shows and at the time they had um the second jurassic world movie and last jedi in which were two of the most like phenomenal projects to get to to see it was Huge. especially for my you know, it's like my first job ever. Um, but, you know, being on tech, it meant that when files came in, I was always the first person to see them. And they had some like really, really simple, um, well, not really, really simple, but they had some, some, some keying shots and green screen stuff that I could, I felt like I could play with. And so I was playing around with that on my, on my machine and one of the suits walked behind me and asked me what I was doing. And then took a look through it and said, this is at a level where I think you could take it to be in the show. And that's what happened. So I managed to get um, some nice little key and stuff. And I think I ended up getting um, final by some other members of the team because my contract finished and stuff. But that was just a really amazing like first experience. And then that was my crowbar for the next thing because I can wedge this, you know, oh, I worked on a couple of cool shows. So the next thing that came up was the DNAIC Greenlight Internship. And there, 
um, they did this like speed dating style interview mm. thing where you have to present all your work for half the day and then you get interviewed by like five different people it was all really thorough and uh, my time on that was really really positive and I think when you're turning up to internship interviews having just finished your second year with some actual work from shows that was my like crowbar to get that and then the work I got from the DNET internship there was some cool stuff on Black Mirror it's like some CG yeah, uh, leg yeah, replacements and stuff I can then when I went to apply for the ILM grad scheme the Jedi Academy they call it um, <laughs> I you know that was that was my crowbar to wedge myself in there I was doing some lecturing recently at Hertfordshire actually and the questions always come up about you know how do I get a job or what should I do and I think just figuring out what you've got to show that is really special and then using that to like crack open the next opportunity and then whatever was in that nut take it to the next thing um it's kind of like compounding yeah. results I think which I love the, really really positive I love the analogy of a crowbar I don't know yeah. find, well, find your crowbar in, that's in, in well, each move yeah, I think it's especially relevant because sometimes you do really feel like you're you're forcing open a door. Yeah, and like you say, it might be a show, it might be an experience, it might be a relationship that you build. Yeah, you can apply exactly. It to anything, exactly. Right? Yeah, um, and I think especially you know you say relationship, but I think people get it because everyone's been on everyone's been on the up, and so they recognise. Oh yeah, when I was at uni, I would pester people on LinkedIn for some feedback. So when, you know, I've had people message me and I sort of think, well, it'd be really hypocritical if I didn't reply and say, here's what you yeah. should prove, this looks really cool. Yeah. It's like that, there's that great phrase, isn't it? Like be the person you needed when you were, you were kind yeah, of uh, absolutely. young. And, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I still kind of practice that mantra now when I get approached. It's like, just a, just a reply, just keep people engaged. I, I've mentioned it on a few podcast episodes, that the idea of not really knowing like career paths aren't linear and, yeah. You just don't know what's going to come your way and everything you said earlier about taking opportunities and then what you're saying here around find that that crowbar you know can you, you know get through that door that door you know and, and what you use to leverage those opportunities I think is really interesting and, and being open to the idea that you know just go with the flow this is you know as long as you're good and you're passionate and you know what you want to do just yeah just keep just keep Definitely. doing your thing right um so that's great I love that so moving into, um, I kind of call this the kind of the, the geeky part of the uh, the podcast. There's a few questions around uh, the work, and and uh, yeah, we've talked already about a lot of big big shows that you've worked on yeah. in in a, sh- in a short space of time. But you know, what what what, what has been your favourite job uh, that you that yeah. you can at least talk about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'd say saying one job was my favourite is probably really difficult. I think almost everything I've done has had a highlight for one reason or another. Working at Trickster, Shang-Chi was just a really, really awesome project to be on because it's got, you know, it had some really interesting creatures. It had some really cool effects work. The environments were really, really fantastic. ILP was really, really positive because they're they're like Swedish wetter, you know, it's really a relatively small company, but their pipeline is just incredible and the people were lovely. And I can't say what I did there, but it was one of the most fun projects I've done and then yeah like being at ILM I think it's always been really positive like when I first joined two years ago and now I've been back for a couple of months and it's just I think really really fantastic just from like an extra curricular perspective I think they really know how to create a really good atmosphere socially everyone's either working remotely or hybridly everywhere in the industry at the moment you know they they arrange for us to like meet up as a department and just nice. get to see each other face to face and stuff it's really really positive um, are you still mostly at home chris are you uh yeah i am um, but i'm in london so i think when things start to calm yeah. down a bit i'll probably get on the deal and, yeah 
available for the socials. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's, no, it's no bad thing. So that was a very, very diplomatic answer. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. I'll give you some minus points for being a bit too diplomatic. There, but <laughs> I, I, you don't want to burn any bridges, so I, I get it. Yeah. Um, so what was, uh, I don't like to be too negative on the pod, so I'm going to say what's the most challenging kind of show or job? That uh, definitely being a data wrangler. It was a huge, um, huge in at the deep end for like a million reasons. Like I think I was 19 when I first started the job. It was my first ever real job. Mm. Um, and it was, you know, it's a lot to learn, like, you know, learning to navigate Linux from the tech team perspective was was really, really tough. And and then trying to, at the same time in the four months I had over that summer, try and get as much artistic experience as possible. Mm. Um, but they were incredibly supportive for, for all of it. So it was really tough, but they were really, really, really good to me. And that was at one of us, wasn't it? Yeah, so absolutely. The, yeah. So yes, yeah, so, I mean, it, it's it sounds like every entry level role in BFX, isn't it? It's like you you, yeah. you get stuck into the, the the weeds and the detail, but there's that light at the end of the tunnel of the, you know the shows that you can work on the 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 the, um, the crowbars you can pick up, yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that's supportive because yeah. that's 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 right across the yeah. industry, isn't it? The idea that you know you can you can do your kind of personal stuff in addition to the well, it can be quite a tough a tough day job. So I hear that. So. Um, who's your uh, this is a very broad question yes um who is your vfx and again we won't talk when i use the term vfx it's like the the access vfx name is like we stand for right. you know, games animation visual effects as a craft you know who would be your hero currently or, or historically that's a that's a good one i think hero is a really really interesting one because i there's, I will, I, I cannot name a single individual person. So this can be my award speech. I'll just name all the people who've helped me along the way. So I mentioned Mark Warman earlier, who mm-hmm. let me into Harpeteer and then was unbelievably supportive the whole way. And, um, you know, we're still in touch and that's nice. really, really positive. Um, another one is like one of the, uh, one of the great compositors to come out of Harpeteer is someone called Josh Parks, who I think so many people uh, know, but he's been like, especially, um, positive with me he's got a um he's got a newsletter and he will very frequently kind of feature whatever i've done recently in that which has just been really kind but also you know when i was at uni um i would properly pester him and say basically you are where i'd like to be how do i how do i do that please and i you know i had the chance to actually work sort of shoulder to shoulder with him at trickster and ilp uh, but we were on different projects ilp um and that was really great which is why I always try and keep when when you know the idea of a hero comes up I always try and sort of say you know hopefully one day that hero will just be you know the person I'm sat next to and we can just get a beer or something um and that's always something to keep in mind because that sort of goes on to um advice I've sort of given when it comes to interviews as well sometimes I've seen um students especially can get this real idolization of either the person who's interviewing them or the studio that they're interviewing for. Mm. And I think it makes a huge amount of sense to have an enormous amount of respect for the people and the work that comes out of these places. But Mm. I always try and remember, like, I'm just talking to another human being. And if everything goes correctly, we will, we will work together, you know, and if I hold them on such a high pedestal, Mm. what can they possibly think I could offer them if I'm holding them so much high, you know, and an interview is all about saying what you can offer. So I always try and keep myself in check before I yeah, idolise people too much. 
quite grounding, isn't it? I think, you know, to, yeah. to see it as, you know, yes, it's these incredible institutions and these, like, you know, I used the term heavyweights earlier, right? Yeah. Heavyweights but ultimately, these are jobs. This is work. This is, you know, yeah. um, but you it, know, going it's in... kind of fun to see the little micro celebrities that form oh, yeah. as well. It's, um, it's cool to see that. No, it's a fascinating industry for that, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I love what you said about, you know, I think, was it what you said to Josh, you know, you are who I want to be. How do I get there? And actually yeah, pretty much. almost having a network of, of men, like mentors around you, informal or, or formal, but yeah. you know, those people that you can really lean on and, and just be open with and present with. You know? Yeah. And that's something that um, Hertfordshire is really interesting for is they've got this forum called 3D Hit where mm. everybody posts their work and it goes back like over a decade now, I think. Mm. And so it means that you can find one of the grants that you you know really want to follow in the path of and then you can literally see the path they took and so that's always um, really really interesting because that was something I found that was really tough at uni actually was I had loads of like I just had loads of like I don't I don't want to say that I don't want to describe myself as having passion because I think I don't want to pick myself up or anything like that but you know I had this enormous desire to say whatever the route is if you give it to me I will do it but just like it's you know I just wanted someone to give me that flow chart to say mm -hmm. okay do this tomorrow do a roto shot the next week do a paint shot yeah I love that idea of yeah just almost like a plotted map of you yeah. know literally what do I need to do right you know and and, and not chuck those experiences yeah so, but, so, so, yeah as well I also I've just totally remembered um the whole hero thing it absolutely goes in two directions as well there are loads of students who I see who I think are like legitimately heroic mm. just because the um like you know I was um I was lecturing a couple of weeks ago and they were so driven it sort of yeah. kept me in check to say you know don't don't slow down either because these guys are going to come and take my job and stuff which is very exciting but additionally you know they were saying oh it's really cool that you did it that way did you know that in the latest version of nuke there's a new tool that means you can do it that way like thanks for teaching yeah. me something you know yeah um, that. yeah it's that definitely a bi-directional thing well that really yeah, it's like reverse mentorship isn't it i mean i agree i get i get often more inspired by people who are 20 30 years my my junior um apprentices come through and i mean that when I worked at the mill, we were uh, I was heavily involved in the uh, the apprenticeship program, and there was these young people. There was, uh, we, we took on our first sixteen year old apprentice apprentice at the mill, uh, Adam Sullivan, if he's listening. And I remember being told by Next Gen Skills Academy that um, yeah, out of the whole cohort, I think they're, I can't remember exactly what they were asked, but it's like what what uh, everybody wanted to learn something. And I mm. think Adam just said, "Look, I, I almost know everything." You know, it's almost he got to the point where he was teaching the. Um, who's teaching the tutors um and for me that's incredible that level of passion yeah. and, and and craft personship at such a such a young age so um i completely yeah. agree it's like a reverse uh, tortoise and the hare thing where sometimes yeah. you know if you've been tortoising along for 15 years it only takes someone who can be a hare for five to suddenly yeah. Like, yeah no no it's definitely a valid tangent to go on uh, chris so th thanks for taking us down down there my pleasure so uh hit this i should call this hit me with your best shot it's kind of quite a you know, oh, Pat man. That's Pat really Benatar good. reference yeah. um really, if you're from really the good. 80s but uh, the actual question is what is the best vfx shot or piece of animation that you've ever oh, yeah. seen I, yeah so i wanted to i wanted to think of something a little bit different on this so i kind of banned myself from anything that's like what i'd say is like the neo vfx thing where mm. it's, it's all a refined process now 
So um, my favourite movie ever is Back to the Future. And I think the shots either of the car coming and it's like a three quarter shot and all the stuff is flying off a bit and it's glowing blue and stuff, super cool. Or where they look over their shoulder and you know the, the, the fire goes between their legs. I think that's super cool. But then I also thought what is just like the weirdest, most memorable thing from my childhood that sticks with me. And I came to the conclusion that the tunnel sequence from Willy Wonka is probably the most like deeply carved into my brain VFX sequence I could think of that was a little bit out there. That is a very dark sequence. Yeah, I, I rewatched it um, for this, and yeah, it's just so weird and completely out of tone. Completely. And the rest of the film. I mean, it's a kids' Love film, it. right? It's nightmarish. Yeah, it's absolutely like, terrifying. Um, millipedes and stuff. Just oh, it's horrible. Yeah, yeah. But um, two two classics there, and uh, being a child of the eighties, yeah, you're speaking my language with both of those Excellent. examples. Uh, hard to pick one, but yeah, the Back to the Future scene. And again, real kind of like practical effects a lot of the time as well. I mean, yes, some visual oh, yeah. effects, but yeah, a lot of practical stuff going on. Uh, I guess in both in many ways. Um, but yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Um, so the next one, I guess is more of a kind of a quick fire round, really. Yeah. Is um, uh, if you could pick a piece of uh, character, design, character design that you would almost classify as the best piece, in your opinion, oh, of character really? design you'd ever come across? I'd say... Um, and this is entirely to my own taste and sensibilities, but anything from the first Pacific Rim film, just because it's giant, giant monsters fighting giant robots. Um, and I, I just don't think you can, where do you go from there? It's like, in, in like 2012, 2013, VFX was completed and now we're just remixing. <laughs> We've now completed VFX now. Yeah. But I, that that movie especially I enjoyed just because um, Guillermo del Toro. I think he said he had the idea mm. when he was like in the back of a car or something, going past a dock, and he saw these massive shipping containers, and just thought, wouldn't it be awesome if a robot smacked a lizard with that? I just think that's great. But yeah, you know, they glow neon. The 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 mechanics of it all seems to make sense when you watch it. None of it makes sense from a physics perspective, which I love. Um, yeah, can't go wrong. It's pure escapism, isn't it? And killer yeah. lizards, which goes killer back to lizards, your, exactly. uh, your. I think theme. you know. I think invisible VFX get all the credit. Well, they should always get more credit, but I think invisible VFX sometimes shadow very visible visual effects because you. Ca- it's not a story you can tell any other way, mm. really, apart from going the Transformers route, uh, not Transformers, um, Power Rangers route of having people in suits, but it just doesn't quite feel the same. No. Um, yeah, sometimes you just got to tell stories that can't be told and switch your brain off. You just got to throw everything at it, haven't you? I quite, I yeah. quite like when we talk about you know favorite shots. You either get the extreme of that, the real hidden visual effects where you just wouldn't wouldn't even know it, a team yeah. worked on it. Yeah, removing stuff and just creating I don't know the, uh, you know a landscape or an environment. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got the other extreme, which is you near know, killer lizards just kind of tearing up cities yeah. and just get a yeah, neon. I mean, I, I, you know, full disclosure, I haven't seen Pacific Rim. It's one of those things I've not seen. It's, I've seen a lot as, of as movies. As far as movies go, you could watch it on mute and enjoy it just as much. <laughs> <laughs> it's classic, leave your brain at the door and yeah. enjoy, the, enjoy the show. Um, so what's the best, and we've touched on advice already, but I'm going to yeah. ask a question anyway, because this is the, the rules of the, the vault. Um, is what, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? 
um, so uh, this one came from Josh actually, I think. So, which I'm sure he must have heard it from somewhere else, and they must have heard it from somewhere else. But um, this, it's sort of, it's about like having the confidence when you're starting out to aim high and stuff. And that's that there's a difference between having 10 years of experience or having used a few years of experience for 10 years. Um, and I, I don't want that to come across like I'm trying to shoot up towards any people who've been doing this for a very long time at all. Um, but I think it's more just like, it's like when you learn a language, don't they say that you, once you learn, you know, the first hundred words is 80% of all of the talking. I yeah. think, you know, the first few years of learning, you, you, you're 80% of the way there. And then the rest of it is refinement and stuff, which means 80% of the doors in theory are now available for you to knock on. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think uh, talent, you know, doesn't equal tenure. I think uh, it just depends on the individuals because you've got twenty yeah. years experience at a company. It doesn't mean you're any good. It just means. Yeah. But obviously, I'm been... quite biased being quite young. I'm sure when I'm old, I will say these kids need to stay in their lane and leave us to the yeah. <laughs> leave the old guard alone. We're making our yeah. killer lizards over here. Yeah. Um, Pacific Ring Twelve. Yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, aim high. I love that. And yeah, we should definitely name check uh, Josh uh, a lot on this pod. So uh, yeah, we'll get him in the show notes. I think. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The words of wisdom he's dropped uh, so far. Um, so that's the advice piece. Moving on from that, it's the uh, what I call the imposter syndrome question. Yeah. So, uh, have you ever felt out of your depth, or that you were faking it till you made it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Any any time I don't feel that way, I sort of take it as a bad sign because uh, yeah. I feel like I'm not be I'm not I'm not pushing myself enough. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely. I think I, I will. You know, I will always try and apply for something that makes me nervous on my first day. Um, yeah. Well, it's exactly definitely. what you said earlier about um, you know uh, yeah choosing work that challenges you pushing yourself yeah. out of your comfort zone so you almost you want to be continually feeling a bit out of your depth otherwise i, I guess yeah, it isn't exactly exciting, is it? yeah i mean it's the same logic that studios have when they apply for projects as well they think you know are we pushing the boat out on this because it will look good to our clients and we're all our own little one person studio so it yeah. makes perfect sense that that logic i love that also, I mean, uh, you could be you could be Oasis, who uh, basically played the same tunes. The whole man, I, I'm a big fan. Or yeah. you could be like Radiohead, and you could oh, be. Brilliant. I've just come up with that, yeah. Too. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, I'm trying to think what the public reception of Radiohead's more recent stuff is, and whether that's an indictment on what Maybe. I've just said or not. But um, yeah, but I don't yeah. know enough about Radiohead to commit to that. No, and I'm uh, yeah, I don't either. But uh, I came. I don't know where that came from. Nobody judged me on that. But uh, yeah, a musical uh, metaphor, basically. Yeah. Obviously. yeah explain they're working in our industry uh, so i think that's absolutely fair and yes yeah, speaks to what you said earlier so uh actually it's funny you mentioned back to the future because uh we're going to go back in time now oh, brilliant. in your delorean and okay. uh you meet your teenage self and what advice yeah. are you going to give your teenage self so i'm going to answer this under the premise that i won't fade away if i change my course um yeah. i you know i think I, I don't think I would necessarily change anything because I'm really, really happy with where I am and how the course worked in the end and even where it went wrong. Um, and it did, you know, along the way go very, very wrong. I have learned from that and that's why I'm so motivated now. But I would, I'd, I'd give myself a little confidence boost probably and just say, you know, you're not wasting your time. 
VFX is a real job. And um, weirdly enough, they will pay you to make films. Um, so yeah, I think that would probably be it. Yeah, you may play in this podcast. Get there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get that no off switch in his head. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that was there already though, but uh, yeah. I okay. might need switching on, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Maybe you've already done it, who knows? Maybe the technology has been invented. Um, so this is a similar question, but slightly different, is what do you wish you'd known when you were starting out? So what do you, the knowledge you wish you so, had? I mean, um, a awesome guy by the name of Dan Dinderov, who I think was in a year above me at uni, came in to do a talk once when he graduated. And he touched on the fact that confidence is a skill. And the more I have moved through things, the more I completely agree with it. Because when, you know, when I was younger, I did these like drama classes and stuff. And I had a, I had a drama exam and I like had a panic attack and I couldn't go in just because I was so nervous about it all. And, you know, I've, I've committed to, you know, doing stuff like this, for example, just to say, you know, uh, reinforce confidence and stuff like that. But part of... That, so that leads on to my actual point, which is that if, if you're brave enough to just ask, people will almost exclusively react positively. Yeah. Um, like, you know, with Jellyfish, for example, you know, I built up the courage and emailing is great for me because I can write my thoughts out and then hit send. And the minute I hit the send button, I will run away and make a beverage so that, you know, it could, it could blow up behind me. And I, I don't know. I get that moment of respite. But um all the time you know if you just say like you know with this this one of us thing for example I said you know I'm, I may be joining the tech team but I would love to help out on the artist side of things as well and they said absolutely yes that sounds great and I think it just shows that um shows you care as well I think you know if you're at sort of um if you're being given work that you don't find very challenging for example and you think that you're ready to go on to the next thing if you say hello I'm not finding this work very challenging I think I might be ready to go on to the next thing could you please hold my hand as I do it who's who's gonna at least not take that on board um but you know it's I remember vividly being in the mindset of I can't ask that person for advice they're gonna think I'm a loser and I know mm. they think oh what a motivated student this person is that's great and that's a great advice for any level in your career right because confidence yeah. affects i mean i i over here i mean i'm you know pushing i'm not going to reveal my age on the podcast but i'm no spring chicken and um yeah we all i still have those moments where i'm like do i ask that what are they going to think of me um yeah. you know and just kind of do it you know like, i mean i'm sorry to quote you again but you know the idea of just speaking to me saying look you're where i want to be how do i get there yeah. like, just being straight up and just there's no yes. there's no science to that question you know it's just yeah. and it's like you said you know I, I i think i'm hitting a glass ceiling here i think i've got where i need to be on x y and z what's next and it's the classic response they can only say no you know at least yeah. you put yourself out there and even when they say no you may gain something from it because they'll say why Sorry. why not um you know like uh when i was on the um when i was in paint and i was very keen to move into comp you know i was constantly saying is today the day I can have a comp shop, please? Or is it this or is it that? Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes the answer would just be work of a level that would either fit into your schedule or where you're at hasn't come mm -hmm. in yet and things like that. Or they'd say, you know, work on work on this kind of thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Just demonstrate you, that hunger. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, if the person who says no to you isn't very pleasant, that's, you've, you've maybe learned something about the situation you're in as well. And, you know, you think maybe this is not, I've got nowhere to go here 
I, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying if someone says no to you, you should quit your job. I'm absolutely <laughs> not saying that. But you know, if, if you're in an environment that's not good, just think why, maybe. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's all character building, isn't it? it all yeah. yeah, I love that. So um, what show or time in your career did you learn the most and why? So I mean, there's a lot of great um, studios and, 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 and content yeah, yeah, creation. Yeah. Um, places you've worked no, th this one is probably a really easy one, which is that, um, you know, when I started doing this full time professionally, I realized that being able to do a paint task or comp a shop is like five percent of your job because they just assume that it's like yes you come in every day to comp we don't expect you to do that incorrectly that's that's a given um and so when i was at uh, jellyfish and i became a lead on spirit that was uh you know a sort of trial by fire on zero to hero in people skills basically and i don't mean people skills in a how to lose friends and alienate people kind of way i mean it in like a uh, how to make people feel supported and stuff because it was a really tough turnaround project as well and so you know um making sure people knew that they could come to me for some on with help with their shot or if the sequence was or you know being able to tell someone this schedule is unrealistic or something like that is that was that was huge and that's now now that I'm sort of when I returned back to the effects and went back into a regular artist role mm. I now I've seen the other side and so I know how to not behave but I know how to act so that life is simpler up the stream I guess as well mm. so yeah 100% I'd say that that's great and uh yeah uh, Spirit and Tame my son is, was a massive fan of that show by the way oh brilliant he's, a he's the one that's fantastic <laughs> the one person <laughs> yeah um but yeah he, he, he watched it when he came out and he loved it yeah he loves his animation bless him but um yeah that's so brilliant. Uh, Debra Jr is a fan um brilliant so we're going to move into kind of the, the final chunk of the uh, the podcast now so kind of the final three questions which um apart from the final one which is more about the kind of the big finish on advice yes. it's about the industry and um I guess uh, the first question of the three is what would you change about the, uh, the visual effects or animation industry? In so week? what I would change maybe about the visual effects process, and this, I think I'm the only person that's probably thinks this, is I would just love it if we had more proprietary stuff. And I think this is coming from a, coming from a compositing perspective where 80% of the time when I join a new studio, I'm presented with a very familiar workflow. Everyone uses Nuke and they sort of say, you know, here's comp, get on with it and have fun. Mm. And I, I just think it would be, and this still happens somewhat, but I think it would just be really interesting to see an industry where every studio just have their, their flair where, you know, someone will say, oh man, that studio has the most amazing hair system I've ever worked with. Mm. Oh, this place they've, rebuilt their own proprietary compositing package and it does this that and the other because i think you know we, we kind of hit a point um where it is financially it just makes so much more sense to buy what is commercially available out there and i think i don't know maybe because i never i never sort of experienced the before time yeah right. and so maybe in hindsight i only get to see the greatest hits and it looks like every day someone was developing a new fluid solver or a new XYZ and every project they had to invent the wheel again. Um, 
but uh yeah maybe that but i mean it's still it's still kind of happening because i've got i've got a bit of a war on rgb where like i love spectral stuff um like uh i think there's a renderer out there called manuka i think it's developed or being developed by Weta, which is a spectral renderer and every time there's an update about that i think wow that's just that's just really really cool but you know at the same time we're in this this new golden age of virtual production where all of a sudden one day it's like the led panel became this shining light literally of this new era so i think maybe in the last two three years my my answer to that question needs to change i think so and it's still quite a young industry still not i'm not talking about the people who are working in it but yeah when you think about visual effects digital uh, yeah effects, i mean it's still relatively in the big scheme of things still quite yeah. early on so yeah but at the same time you know everyone's still using maya for example mm-hmm. um but yeah maybe i think the more i'm saying it out loud the more i'm like what am i saying like i should just <laughs> we should we should all keep things how it is it's, it's nice and change anything, familiar please. <laughs> all right so what's uh so we're moving into the uh the industry advice question yeah the biggie which is you know as, as you know xcfx stands for inclusion and diversity yes. and creating uh, a more inclusive uh creative community so what, what what's the one thing we can do as a step towards that more inclusive and diverse industry do you think i think anonymize absolutely everything um so when i applied for the jedi academy um, we weren't allowed to include our full name, only our initials. We couldn't say what university we came from. There was no um, any information about yourself. Like um, you couldn't include a picture of yourself. You couldn't. I don't think you could even include your email address um, in case they could gain information from that. It was literally just wow. your work, and then they sort of narrowed it down from it was like something like six hundred to a thousand people applied or something, and then they narrowed that down to about forty, and then it became a matter of okay everybody in the selection has the work that is probably good enough what do we now you know then it then it came down to like interviews and they did um i think yeah it was just a very hands-off a process it was just super anonymous even that i think like even to the point where some of the stuff on the day i think got written down on clipboards so i think not everyone who made decisions even got to meet us and stuff um super anonymous i think that is probably a really good answer. Uh, good answer. Uh, yeah, good answer to the problem, maybe. I was going to say, I'll be the judge of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As I said, I don't know. That's not what I meant to say. That's a really good answer. No, no, you're absolutely right. I like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, how did they, if it, so there was no contact details. How did they, how did they get? Yeah, so when you, you know, when we applied through the, the, the job oh, listing, yeah, yeah. there's that. But the actual, um, I think everything got filtered through artist eyes who, who didn't mm-hmm. know who we were. And obviously, even then, you know, that's not a perfect solution because people will recognize one shot from LinkedIn and suddenly it's like, oh, I know Chris, he's from Hertfordshire, he's really cool. And then, you know, so it's never going to be perfect, but, no, but at least I the like intent that. is there. I think it, I think you're right, and I think it goes back to the work. And doesn't it? Like we were saying earlier about uh, me and your journey to to the University of Parts was, you know, the idea that it was the work that shone through rather than the, yeah. what grades you had or you know your background necessarily. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, like that. I like that. I mean, we've talked a lot about. Um, I mean, we do that with uh, uh, the Next Gen Skills Academy apprenticeships. Is you know, you go straight into the real, you go straight into the work, and 
as part yeah. of that early shortlisting. So, uh, and I I seem to remember from the um, the way you pair mentors up, it's it's a quite you know I think you only get like a, a name and a couple yeah things that they've written about themselves. So yeah, yeah, it's just interest it based on interests. Brilliant. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah. I'm glad you're, you're sticking with the uh, Access VFX mentoring. Shall yeah. continue to plug shamelessly as we go through the rest of the pod. Um, so the final question, we're going in for the, the big finale now, Chris. Is, um, it's the career advice question. And what is your golden nugget of advice for anyone trying to break into industry uh, at the moment? So I, oh, there's a couple of things. I will do one which is non-work related and one that is. Um, the non-work thing is um, I got given the advice once that like the last thing on your to-do list of applying for the job should be applying on the listing. The first thing you should do is probably just see if you know anybody who works there or find out who the department heads are. And that, you know, if you're a student and you reach out to, you know, either a supervisor or someone you think's a decision maker and say, hey, I'm trying to tailor myself to your studio, guide me. That I'm again, they'll either ignore you or respond positively. Um, so that, but then from an from an actual artwork, you know, what should I be making or or how should I be tailoring myself to try and get hired somewhere? I'd say, like, you know, try and find the job you want so whether that's a game studio or a vfx house or something and someone once said to me and i think this is a little bit harsh so i've tweaked it they said if you want to work on like the next planet of the apes movie make something as good as planet of the apes and because that's the work you'll be expected to do and i don't think that's completely fair because i think if you got a shot from ilm and then asked me in my spare time to replicate it i don't think i'd be able to do that either but i think if you can take the simplest shot that you think from a project that you would like to work on and replicate it in your own time in a way that shows that with guidance you'd be able to replicate it to the same quality then I think that's your your thing you know if you had a supervisor on your shoulder and they said this part of your material is too shiny or, or this part of the shot is too bright and then it would match the same quality as a Jurassic Park movie or something um, I think that's the bar to, to go for. And aim super high as well. You know, you can only, you know, if you aim for like your absolute dream and you miss, keep going down the list until one of those places will take you. You know, don't aim for fourth, the, what you consider to be the fourth best studio because you think you're a fourth tier artist. That's great advice. Thank you, Chris. So we're going to close the vault now. Thank you so much, Chris, for, for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been really good. Well, there you have it. Episode five, season two of the Access VFX podcast. We very much hope you enjoyed it. What an enjoyable and rich conversation we had with Chris. Before you go, a couple of things. Please go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, subscribe, or just leave us a review if you fancy it. And most importantly, please get involved with our Foundry-sponsored global e-mentoring programme. If you reside in the UK, USA, Canada, Australia or New Zealand, you can sign up for free to get an industry mentor or do what Chris did and become a mentor to folks aspiring or just getting started in visual effects, animation or games. Please go to www.accessvfx.org forward slash mentors and go and change someone's life. Thank you to Chris for being an amazing guest. Thank you to Tom Box for producing it and for the graphics and most importantly, thanks to you for listening. Come and join me next week where we speak to another incredible guest. In the meantime, I'm going to go and check out Pacific Rim. Thank you.